You're listening to Malka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Travel Express and Alhamdulillah Travel Express with our Ibrahim Vadachia. I call him my Ibrahim Ba. And as someone that really adds a value to the platform of Malka Sahaba and the voice of the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Alhamdulillah, great to have him this evening. Ibrahim Ba, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Tell me how you're doing this uh, beautiful evening. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, firstly, Brother Shafat, and of course our listeners out there to Radio Marcus Sahaba, alhamdulillah, I'm in fine fettle, and it's been a lovely day, and looking forward to this program. No, absolutely, I really look forward to your company, and uh, you know, looking around us, uh, we're having this patching, that patching, uh, load shedding, <laughs> and the sewage, uh, the sewage is all over, I believe all over, uh, you know, Southern Africa, even I don't know, Allahu Alam, but uh, the pumps are not working and this is not working. Uh, we're pulling uh, power from that end and we uh, that substation are blown out there. Don't worry, we'll make it. Our our inspectors are on uh, site. Uh, the management is on site and this is on site. We're having an urgent meeting. We're going to build towers. It seems like uh, another Ramaphosa scenario is playing out, but, you know, they're playing this, uh, uh, you know, uh, six or Nick's game with us. We either getting power or we get nothing at all. Uh, talk to us, Ibrahim Ba. Yeah, that unfortunately is the uh, reality of the situation on the ground, Brother Shafat. And I can tell you uh, that the uh, ratepayers and of course the, the citizenry are getting quite fed up, sick and tired to that uh, extent. You know, where one cannot A, run a business properly anymore. One cannot... Uh, drive around without all this uh, traffic signals not functioning, the lights are not working, the water's not coming in regularly, electricity interruption go on by the day. So uh, I'm not sure where this is going to end. And uh, I think the people have even lost faith in the reassurances by that are given uh, increasingly by a, whether it's uh, the departmental head or even the city manager or the mayor for that matter or deputy mayor. The thing is, it's not cutting anymore because the people, you know, the thing is, uh, if you make a promise, the idea is to keep it. But uh, it seems that it is more and more increasingly difficult for them to keep those promises. And that is why I don't or cannot uh, fathom why they just don't come clean and say, listen, this is the scenario. And uh, this is what we are faced with. I guess maybe they would be uh, afraid of the backlash. And that is why they just keep uh, making these statements, uh, which in reality don't necessarily, uh, you know, materialize. And I think this is where the rank and file of the person, of the people in South Africa, you know, are now even threatening uh, to protest. And sometimes, of course, it will get violent. And... uh, some are even threatening to withhold rates. And the thing is, whether the, that is a legal stance to take, I'm not sure. That needs to be investigated. But uh, the situation is dire. And I can tell you for a fact that uh, just today we had uh, outages in your area. Yeah. Uh, not just today, but uh, in days past and weeks past. And uh, more so in the prospect and industrial area. And uh, nobody but nobody that we found no fewer than seven people that are connected insofar as service delivery goes and not one could be reached by their mobile or their landline. So uh, 
that is the nature of the beast. And of course, the people in the precinct expect answers from us. So we sent it to them and told them, look, here are all the numbers and here's the time of the calls and things like that. But unfortunately, whether they're in a meeting time to discuss how they're going to resolve the issue, the many, many challenges they are facing, and that is why they are not available, or maybe they are just not, uh, you know, making themselves available because uh, this, the most instances, what you get, of course, is that, uh, uh, you know, you, it goes into voicemail and then, then uh, the announcement comes, the voicemail is full and you cannot take any more messages. So uh, that is the frustration on our part, and I guess indeed on the frustration of uh, all the major businesses, industrialists, etc., etc., and of course the ordinary uh, guy in the street that is, uh, you know, suffering under these conditions. So I'm not sure what the plan is. All we can do is uh, try and remain positively engaged and uh, try and do our best, you know, to try and work together to find some sort of meaningful solutions in the interim, at least, you know, to be able to alleviate the plight of the poor. I'm not talking, sorry, forgive me, not just the poor. I'm talking about the ordinary citizen out there. Hey, Brian Ba, and uh, whilst you're talking, I was looking at uh, global airports. Uh, uh, you know, the global airports are report uh, smoother travel, but brace for long lines and delayed flights. It's like uh, talking with, uh, you know, what do they call that, with a fork tongue there. <laughs> <laughs> white, the red Indians used to say white men yeah. speak with fork tongue. I mean, there's a fork tongue here, Ibrahim, but talk to us. <laughs> yeah, well, look, uh, there has been of late a surge in uh, demand for travel. I guess uh, uh, coming off the back of uh, two years of COVID or two and a half years thereabout. And uh, this is more, um, how shall I say, uh, focused on uh, continental Europe and uh, North America, Canada, maybe. Uh, where this report was uh, emanating from. Uh, basically, they are gearing up for uh, bumper summer. Uh, I mean, they look at their forward, forward booking profile and they're looking quite healthy as opposed to the past few years. And uh, the surge in passenger demand, especially during the peak period in their summers, of course, their summers are winter over here. So you're looking at uh, mid-June, July, August, that area, maybe running over into September sometimes. But... Uh, uh, whilst they are putting on more equipment or more uh, flights and increasing their uh, reach insofar as the route network goes, the thing is uh, what must be understood and appreciated here, uh, Brother Shafat, is that when COVID hit, it, uh, it hit the uh, travel industry hardest, I dare say. And uh, the net result was that a lot of pilots lost their jobs, a lot of cabin and ground crew lost their uh, jobs. A lot of travel agents, uh, you know, personnel were told to go. And of course, they moved on and went into the other industries. Now with the surge that's come up, uh, whilst they're trying to, uh, you know, staff up, so to say, to avoid uh, labor shortages and, and lack of uh, capability or capacity to handle the kind of numbers that I expected, it is still challenging. But uh, from what they say is that uh, they expect the demand to be uh, reaching, you know, pre-pandemic levels already in most routes. And uh, what they are saying is that uh, it might just be, uh, you know, in the super peak periods that they will have these challenges of long line baggage piles and delayed flights and the inability of uh, airports, airlines and government agencies to have uh, enough or sufficient uh, competent staff 
to avoid uh, the issues. And uh, of course, the low-cost carriers uh, like EasyJet, Ryanair, Wizz Air, and all the rest, they have been uh, recouping whatever losses they sustained with the robust financial results for the beginning, the first uh, two months of 2023. And uh, they're looking, uh, you know, to sort of uh, allay the fears of the public by getting more and more uh, personnel in place. And similarly, airports are taking steps to prepare for the high season travel by reducing the number of passengers it could accept and curb the lines ahead of the spring break, which is uh, fast approaching. Uh, such as bolstering uh, online booking platforms that let passengers schedule a specific time to pass through security checkpoints. How that's going to pan out remains to be seen on the day of the event, but uh, that's what it's all about, uh, Ba, and this is not something that that's isolated just to one or the other continent. In fact, uh, this is even going out to Southeast Asia and, of course, in Africa as well, because people are wanting to travel. And we just hope that the uh, the uh, industry as a whole is able to uh, meet the demands. Yes, Ibrahim Ba, you know, uh, we hope uh, everything. I mean, if you look at the entire world, I mean, America, they say, has, uh, uh, is imploding from within. Uh, the infrastructure is gone. They say the uh, bridges are no more, uh, you know. But I lost you there. People, the mind has been captured by drugs and uh, alcoholism and what and what, Ibrahim. But there you find this, uh, you know, cardboard gangster <laughs> playing uh, the, the police state of the world. But from within, <laughs> there is a rot, Ibrahim. The cancer has started. I mean, it's spreading uh, with, uh, you know, out of control. Your thoughts? Yeah, sorry, I, I lost you there for a bit, but I'll answer as best I can for what uh, okay. on what I did here. Uh, yeah. Look, uh, what you're saying uh, is... Uh, America imploding from yes, within no, no, you, right? I, I heard that bit, and yeah. uh, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you on most counts over there. America is indeed imploding. If you uh, look at the infrastructure, and uh, of course, a lot of the uh, social ills, uh, coming home to roost there. I mean, if you think we've got a home re- homeless channel uh, challenge, go and look at uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles and all those places, and you'll be shocked out of your mind. Anyway, I think you are aware, no doubt, about that uh, chemical explosion of those uh, railway tankers that... Uh, oh, I hope. Yeah. Oh, hi, oh. Ohio, yeah. And the thing is, they blew it up. It didn't, uh, you know, explode on it. They blew it up. And the thing is, it's led to a whole lot of toxic fallout, a lot of uh, birds and chickens and fish and everything else. The water is polluted, seeing that a lot of the uh, states around, they draw their water from the river Ohio, and that's going to be a problem. But yeah, there you got this idiot, and I'm calling him an idiot because it, it defies explanation. You you got uh, vets that are back sleeping on the street. You got uh, the industries that are folding all around you. There's unemployment that's going up and up. Inflation is rampant, and all the minuses are there. But they have billions upon billions to give to the Nazis in Ukraine. That that justifies explanation. And to to add insult to injury to their own people, then he decides to go off on a jaunt and stand next to that moron, that uh, Zelensky character right, that's living in a world all his own, 
and say that, oh, we are united and we stand together and we're going to give you more arms and things like that. I mean, who in their right mind will ever talk like that? I mean, I have yet to hear one talking head from the Western side that's saying, listen, the cost of life and uh, et cetera, et cetera, infrastructure, damage, refugees, whatnot that, uh, you know, normally uh, accompanies any invasion or war. Who's talking about, listen, let's just take a break. Let's take our time out. Let's sit at the table and talk. Let's see how we can resolve. Nobody's even talking about that. All they're saying is we're going to put in more and more. So what it tells you basically is that these are warmongers par excellence. And all they are looking is driving. And I said this many months ago, you will recall that they are looking to cause World War Three because that great so-called reset of theirs is not going as uh, they planned. The people have woken up and they're starting to push back. And the thing is, the only way they're going to do it, cull the population at the same time, destroy. Uh, hopefully, they, they're looking to destroy Russia. And I don't think Allah's going to let that happen because that seems to be currently about the only person that's talking anything that makes sense. And uh, the thing is that they are Eastern Orthodox Christian, not like this atheistic lot that uh, don't believe in God and, and do whatever they please. And uh, and, and uh, how should I say, they purport to be uh, Christians that are committed to democracy, which is just a lie. And uh, then where all, this, all the uh, R2Ps and the right to intervene and things go on, when just take a, a, a case that's going on for more than 70 years, you know, in 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 Palestine, you know, and what do they do? The 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 so-called uh, civilized West and all the the leaders or misleaders, whatever you care to name them, they are not any different from the monkeys, you know, that uh, see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil when it comes to Israel. But here they're standing with all the people, the wrongdoers, and they are wanting to destroy and cull the population across the world. So. Uh, if it's going to be, and and look, the, at the end of the day, my my understanding of the situation is that the biggest losers are going to be here is America and, of course, Germany and all those other European vessels that are following their lead. You are a master. Did anyone tell you that you got your politics, you are politicking on the highest level? And I, I bless you for that, and I'm a very privileged to have a man of your stature in our team. Hey, bless you, Ibrahim Ba. Then, you remember Pharaoh and Pharaoh? Mm. Said, look, oh, Musa, look at my buildings underneath <laughs> rivers flows, and look at me, what I'm, I'm the dawn of the time. Yeah. And, you know, today people, how they gloat in the buildings too, say, hey, you know yeah. me, I got the tallest building in exactly. Spingo Beach. Oh, I said, oh, yes, mashallah, you remind me of Pharaoh. And this is exactly what I told an individual <laughs> when he told me. He, you know, he's he's Mount Sali, Brahma. Yeah. And he told me I got the tallest building, you know, in the, in town. I said, you remind me so much of Pharaoh. Yeah. I mean, not out of malice, Wallahi. Oh, no. I, I, I mean, you should know me. Yes. Uh, if, if if I claim to be Sunnah compliant, I will be because you know you know the property where, where I live, and so many came to me and said, what are you wasting your time? Mm. You know, you got a, a flat, you got a one acre land, and you prime yes. site. And I said, bye. That thing belongs to half the thing belongs to the monkey and uh, the birds <laughs> and the green mambas and the mongoose. Exactly. It doesn't belong to me. It's so an let ecosystem. Them... It's an ecosystem. Eco. I said, let them live there. And this frontier, yeah, I need this jungle. I need a piece mm. of land where I can meditate and glorify my Allah. 
I got no time for concrete jungle. Yeah. Never, never ever. May Allah keep us that way. Well, yeah. Ibrahim, the, the article that we're going to discuss is the 10 tallest buildings in South Africa. Mm. I don't know if Pharaoh's got something to do with that or Ramaphosa, but talk to us about the 10 tallest buildings in Junubi, Africa, Ibrahim. Well, look, this is not just a local tendency or a trend. Huh? This is something that's global, you know, and... Uh, and uh, I think someone said it, whether it was our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that said when the uh, Arab shepherd, the barefooted Arab shepherd aspires to build high, uh, higher buildings and in competition with each other, uh, take for instance Dubai that's got the Burj Khalifa and of course our, our Saudi friends that were building the Saudi tower to outdo that and be the first uh, kilometer high building on earth. That suddenly has ground to a halt with no uh, sort of uh, uh, report or notification as to when the construction will resume. So, yeah, and of course, at that stage, you must know that the final hour is dawning and is coming nearer. So that is where we are at. And of course, in South Africa, we can't get left anywhere. You know that. So uh, we have some of the tallest buildings uh, here in South Africa. I'll give you a quick uh, one to ten rundown just now. But... Uh, I think even our tallest building, which is by uh, the way, the Leonardo that's based in uh, Santon, that only ranks 1,022 on the tallest building in the world scale. So it gives you an imagination or an understanding of where we are in so, insofar as uh, competing with the big guns, you know, internationally. So uh, basically the Leonardo, uh, again, I'll repeat that's in Santon, it's about 228 meters high. And the rest uh, in order of height, uh, running from that 228 right down to 140 meters in height uh, is number two is the Carlton Center also in Johannesburg, the Ponte Tower in Johannesburg, Marble Towers in Johannesburg, number five, Pearl Dawn, that's in Durban, and the Radio Park Building again in Johannesburg, the Reserve Bank Building in Pretoria, 88 on Field Street in Durban, and uh, Quadugusa, would you believe, Igoli Hotel Tower One, that's in uh, Johannesburg. And of course, Michelangelo Tower also in Santon. And like I said, they range from a height of uh, the top one being 228 down to 140 meters, which is no uh, big deal, you know, and you look at it on a global scale. But uh, that's where we are at insofar as tall buildings go in South Africa. Yeah, that, uh, but, but they say the taller you are, you are the harder you fall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, nothing to do with the building. Earthquakes and all, Ibrahimba. You have Don't to talk about another one. There was yeah. another one in, in uh, Antakya, that's Antioch, if you remember your Islamic history. Yeah, uh, more Antioch, you know, with the Christian and the uh, Council of Nasir and uh, Hey, but uh, that place was a very important place for the Christian world, eh? Oh, yes. Very, very important. Mm. And a lot of changes took place there. But Ibrahim, you know something that we appreciate, the sunrise, the sunset, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the Rabbul Mashrikhaini, Rabbul Mahribaini, Fabi'i Alahi Rabbikumatu Kaziban, Lords of the two east and Lords of the two west. So which is it of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Well, they're talking yeah, about yeah. a sunset, the sunset's waterfall ablaze in uh, mm. Yathamite uh, Firefall. I mean, this must be an amazing sight. Have you been there, Ibrahim? No, I haven't been to the uh, California Yosemite uh, National Park. No, I haven't. I have been to Los Angeles, of course, but uh, no. 
you know, it was just a trip around the main areas and not necessarily uh, to that area. You need more time, of course, if you're doing the States, it's a great big place and you hit the high spot and then maybe if you get another chance, then you come back and do the other lesser known ones. But uh, coming back to this uh, issue about setting the waterfall ablaze, it's a, it's a figure of speech, basically. And uh, they talk about it being a spectacular firefall instead of a waterfall that uh, wowed nature watchers in uh, the National Park on Wednesday last. Basically what it is when the setting sun lights up the waterfall like a ribbon of fire, you know, it's just a couple of weeks in every year that this happened, where the last rays of uh, the setting sun, it hits the horsetail falls, okay? And uh, that sets the water light. If you're looking at it at the right angle, it looks like a river of lava gushing down a volcano mountainside. And it just lasts a few minutes uh, at uh, sunset and it draws tourists from across the country because it uh, relies on the rare combination of perfect conditions, you know, of the sun reflecting on the water, clear blue skies, uh, flowing water, etc., etc. And when the sun drops at exactly that right angle, it reflects upon that falls. And, they, the, you know, the effect is magical, really. And, uh, of course, California, like other places in the States, was in a drought situation, but uh, thanks to bountiful downpours at the beginning of the year, there's a lot of water flowing through. And of course, uh, it's ideal for visitors who are visiting Yosemite to enjoy and maybe take photographs of this uh, unique phenomenon. Rally, Brampa, and uh, you know, they uh, will put everything to fire, fire, fire. Yeah, reminding them, but it must be an amazing sight all to. I'm sure, uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, your nature, if you look around you and you can really glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all time. And, you know, and uh, alhamdulillah, I think you, you and I too, we love nature. We love uh, Allah's creation and we love uh, our creator the most. Uh, well, Sri Lanka bans uh, single-use uh, plastic to save elephants. And I remember Hathi Meresati. <laughs> yeah, basically, this uh, was just a directive that was given recently in Sri Lanka, uh, where they're going to ban single-use plastics uh, because of the fact that uh, what they found, it has led apparently to a series of wild elephant and deer deaths from plastic poisoning. And the only way they got to know that is basically is, uh, uh, you know, when they find these animals that have expired, they do a post-mortem and of course inside they find all sorts of plastic bags and other products because what happens is that because of the uh, habitat that is shrinking then these animals go out and forage for food you know in all the uh, trash heaps and things like that and invariably you know they they will swallow some of that and uh, and it's uh, causing a die-off in uh, you know the deer and the elephant population and uh, of course, it's a question of uh, how much can they sustain it because uh, the Asian elephants are considered uh, sacred in Sri Lanka. In fact, I've been to that elephant uh, orphanage there and uh, it's quite something really, you know, what those elephants are, are capable of. They are well-trained and everything. But uh, they have just enacted a law now that was gonna make it, uh, uh, they're gonna forbid the manufacture or sale or import of plastic cutlery, cocktail shakers, artificial flowers and the like. That's gonna kick in from June, 2023. 
and uh, imports, of course, same thing goes for the food wrappers and toys that were banned two years ago because of the spate of deaths, especially in the islands northeast. And uh, that, of course, is going to be enforced even more stringently. And uh, the biodegradable plastic bags, these are the main culprits, it seems. And uh, the people are quite annoyed at that. And I think that is why they've taken this uh, decision where about 400 die each year as a result of uh, human uh, elephant, uh, shall we say, conflict or interaction where we are putting out the stuff in this plastic bag and that's killing them. Well, uh, incidentally, also around 50 people die because of the fact that the, the elephants most probably are getting fed up with them at times and getting stuck into them. And uh, we just hope that this measure help somewhat, uh, help the government and uh, the people realize that, uh, you know, they are destroying one of their treasures and be more circumspect about uh, how they handle uh, whatever form of waste, plastic waste, uh, especially going forward. Because uh, Sri Lanka is very much a rural country, apart from the main city centers, everything else is very green and lush and everything. And I guess the, this uh, it should be an ongoing uh, education uh, sort of uh, effort for the uh, rural uh, people out there to make sure that they look after the ecosystem. Otherwise, uh, these uh, elephant numbers would be dropping substantially. Yeah, Ibrahim, but to end off on a very somber note, uh, talking about our very own Durban, and there were these elderly tourists, you know, the eighties, I believe. I've been walking innocently near those taxi ranks and suddenly, you know, they brought them down and took their wallets away and the phones away. And they say the cops were there, you know, just watching. And the people, all the hawkers nearby just looked at these uh, scoundrels doing what they do. Mm. And then these tourists said they will make sure they will tell all and sundry in the U.S. not to come to Durban anymore. <laughs> Your thoughts, Ibrahim yeah, it is. It is sad, very sad. A, firstly, for the people that were mugged, and secondly, for the repercussions uh, that uh, this incident is going to have. Because uh, your best uh, advert uh, that is free of charge, of course, is word of mouth. And uh, these guys, of course, uh, I'm not sure how popular they might be, but uh, they'll tell their families and friends, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, not to come to Durban. Now, these characters were here in South Africa for a few months, apparently, from December last year. And then they said, no, we've got to, we've heard so much about Durban. Let's go to Durban and see what, what the city is like on the East Coast. Anyway, they went uh, walking, went to the Botanic Gardens, apparently. And on the way back, uh, you know, they were mugged by about eight or nine of these so-called uh, paras, which is a slang that they use for these people that hang around waiting to, uh, you know, pickpocket or just take advantage of any opportunity that presents itself. And apparently they were walking back uh, in what used to be Commercial Road, now AB Zuma or Kuma Street, and uh, near the taxi rank, and eight or nine of them accosted their, these two, two uh, visitors, forced them to the ground, ripped off their uh, shirts and pants and everything, and took all their cell phones, wallets, and whatever valuables they had on them. And uh, sadly, two SAPS officers were allegedly watching all this from across the street, but did absolutely nothing, as did 
the vendors and other pedestrians. Like I always say, you know, streets full of people, but you're all alone when things like this go down. Uh, they yelled for help. Of course, no one came to their aid. And uh, they didn't bother to report this mugging simply because they felt that the indifference of the police at the scene failed to inspire any confidence in their ability to a, either uh, prosecute or arrest uh, the culprits. So it's a poor indictment on our status quo insofar as the crime, crime situation goes. We are fast becoming the murder capital uh, of the world. I mean, just in KZN, we are in the front running, of course. The most murders committed in South Africa with 1,821 killings recorded just between October and December 2022. What are we talking about here, Brother Shafat? And uh, mm. the South Africans uh, don't blame uh, the tourists for vowing never to return here. I mean, who would want an experience like that? And to add insult to injury, to think that the cops were standing by and did absolutely nothing, they were having a full go at the cops. I'm talking about the uh, South African people on, on, uh, on social media. You know, and the thing is, of course, as you know very well, our police force, especially the South African police services, you know, they've been making the headline for all the wrong reason. You're driving drunk, uh, uh, corruption, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and everyone's getting quite sick and tired of it. You know, and they say, no wonder criminals are not scared of them every anymore. And uh, ev another one said, every single day, SAFT continuously prove how useless they are, and uh, still more. It says criminals are supposed to fear this. I give up. Still one other said, how surprising to witness such behavior from SAPS, which has now become a criminal organization. So there you have it, Brother Shafat. I think uh, the uh, citizenry knows exactly where they stand uh, with the police. And that is why there is that uh, disregard or, or total disrespect shown, shown to the uniform and to those that wear it. And uh, whilst I'm not generalizing and painting everyone with this, the same brush, it seems, it seems from what we uh, see happening every day that there are more corrupt cops, uh, cops out there than good cops. So the thing is, uh, it's hard to tell who you're stuck with, but uh, if you're going to be on the receiving end of something like this, I'm not going to talk very kindly about the law enforcement agency. That's that question. So, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I feel for the uh, uh, visitors, but uh, this is the jungle that we are now living in in uh, Durban, Etiquini, in KZN, and in South Africa. Welcome uh, to the wild, wild Africa. Yes, Durban. Go to Johannesburg. Go to Cape Town. Go to wherever you got something going. It's like the wild was better. I mean, anyway, the whole world is in the mess, Ibrahim Bauer. Your parting word. It is. You yeah, parting word. Let's see. Talking about integrity and the like. It said that it's not what we eat, but what we digest that makes us strong. It's not what we gain, but what we save that makes us rich. It's not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learned. And not what we profess, but what we practice that gives us integrity. So that's my parting words for you today, Brother Shafat. And I would like to thank you and our listeners for the opportunity of uh, interacting with you. And uh, with all of you. Uh, very hearty. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wise words indeed, people. It really, yeah. I digested it. Mm, I digested it, people. 
<laughs> you have a brilliant evening ahead. I'd like to thank our engineer, Lucalo, for brilliant engineering this evening. And I give you lock on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful broadcasting. And uh, Alhamdulillah, also our nasheeds are selected. And uh, it is for your listening pleasure. Uh, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.